What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. And a big thank you to you. Yes, you. You listening to this right now, because without you, this would be completely pointless. And, 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 and we want to thank you. Yes, the person who supports us on Patreon. Thank you so much. And yes, you, the person in the academy uh, that keeps this show on the road. We want to thank you all. But look, you know, if you're not one of those people, if you're thinking, well, what do I get for being a patron? You get loads and loads and loads of extra episodes like deep dives. And we've had deep dives recently on uh, how to write a bestseller in a day, on editing on uh, TikTok, on ADHD for authors, on screenwriting, on forensics, on writing blurbs, on uh, Bookature. We've had people from Bookature. We've had uh, chatbots, uh, deep dives, all sorts of amazing stuff. Got a really good one coming up on marketing as well, marketing mindset and all that good stuff. So if you want to support this podcast and get involved in that, pop yourself along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. You can find out all about that there. It's worth its weight in gold. And also, if you want to get involved in the Academy, you get me and Mr. D as your tutors and an amazing community there and some fantastic courses and great coaching opportunities. Go to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a link in the show notes. Just click a button and you'll be there. Mr. D, how are you? I, I love this. It's good to be back. I have so much fun chatting with you each week, Mark. And we do get a lot of really great great emails from people a lot of them we can't read out and we respect that obviously because um but we have such i just want to i just want i want people to remember when you show up to this podcast you got to get in our mindset folks you got to push away all those little little voices in your head telling you not good enough because we're here to inspire you as we are every week to find the to go really deep and really pull out the very best writer that you know is within you and help you quash some of those voices. And I just want to say thank you to all the people that write to us with their personal stories. Um, honestly, some of them bring some of them bring tears to my eyes. I got one the other day. Obviously, can't talk about it, but I brought tears to my eyes. And um, so, thank you to that person. And you might know who you are um, because it really helps. Uh, I think as authors as well, when you, it's like getting a letter from one of your readers who tells you about how something's affected them. Um, and, you know, just, just talking about importance of, of what we're showing up to do here, everyone listening to this as well, you know, you're creating a legacy through your writing, which changes the lives of some people. And you'll never sometimes know the effect that your writing will have. But I just want to encourage you this week, if you think that you're not good enough, we you think you're never going to be a good writer, it's never going to happen for you, keep on going. Because we believe in you. And that's why we show up here each week to continue, hopefully inspire you to keep going. So anyway, that was my little motivational minute, Mark. Tell nice. Me, uh, right up front. But, like right, it. let's just, let's, yeah. we do this towards the end of the show usually, but I thought, you know what, let's just front load this, especially by the way, if you're new and you've been recommending this podcast by a friend uh, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, strap in, this is going to be fun. But we have a great, a great, great interview for you. And we're going to, we're going to, we've got a lot of inspiring stuff to talk about. So stick with us. But Mark, before we do that, there's more dates in the diary for you this week, isn't there? Mr. Busy Man. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to be at another Comic-Con and this is the MCM uh, Comic-Con in London on Saturday, 27th of May, which is at the London Excel Centre, hoping to do a really fun panel on Unwelcome. Uh, and we're going to have some of the folks from Unwelcome there and sort of uh, doing a sort of behind the scenes thing there. Then there's going to be uh, a panel called Spellbound. So uh, it's going to be me, the author Jennifer Lane, Finbar Hawkins, David Towsey, Marion Gibson. And we're going to be talking about witchcraft and wizardry in fiction 
Station. And then straight after that, uh, on uh, f- at 4pm, I'm doing a, a Magical Murder Mysteries panel as well. I think I'm moderating that one, uh, and which we've got the authors Alice Bell and T.L. Huchu and someone called Ben Naronov. Ben Narona, Ben Nar- I have no idea who that is. Um, so apparently, they're a very loud, shouty author. But I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, so that should be really, really good. And there'll be a Forbidden Planet signing after that as well. So come along to the MCM Comic Con, Saturday, 27th of May. I'll be there. I mean, it's the whole weekend. My son is going for the whole weekend. I, cool I love bonkers. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I like. Yeah. Do you know what I was thinking the other day? I was, you know, being a dad myself and looking at ways to bond with the kids. Um, I always think it's wonderful if one of your kids or multiple of your kids have a similar kind of interest. Um, it's like if you're into a sport and they, you know, they, they, you kind of like hammer, hammy, you take them to a footy game and you hope that they'll then support the same team as you. So you can sit and watch football together for the rest of your life, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I think it's great that, that you get to share, share those opportunities with your son, Mark. We, you say share. I mean, he turned 21 this year, right? And we yeah. and it sort of coincided with the Star Wars celebration thing, which again was at the London Excel Centre. And uh, I paid for him to have his photos, his 21st birthday present, to have his photo taken with Anakin Skywalker. What a great present, right? For a Star Wars uh, geek. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but we were there the whole day. And you say, share, we arrived. And I walked through. I said, here we are. I said, right, bye, Dad. <laughs> it's yeah. like, what? Oh, uh, oh! I meet you at eleven for the photo yeah. show. I right? Okay, fine. Yeah. So yeah, but you had a good Sharing time. Sharing is the car journey or the train journey up there and back. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The and petrol money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dad, I'm starving. Do you want to meet for lunch? <laughs> I love it. Well, you have to. You know, you have to enjoy these moments. I do. When the kids grow do. up and they fly yeah. the nest. Fleeting, I had, fleeting I had my stuff, man. Absolutely lovely daughter come back and see us for two days. You know, and they are precious. They're precious moments mm. because she's off living a life and. I'm so excited about that, but it's hard as a parent because you also really miss, you, you miss those, those family moments. You miss the time just chatting with your kids. And when they become adults, it's a completely different conversation. And I love those conversations. They're even meatier. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. When if you're meeting back. your kids, yeah, then they answer back. <laughs> I know. But no, if you're meeting your kids this week, or if you, if you're like one of those writers, we've had a few of them on the show, haven't we, Mark, who like involve their kids young kids adult kids in their writing i love that you know oh do you give me some feedback uh, or you sit around the dinner table coming up with ideas we've had that what's, quite a few times, what's the we? point i mean i do it what's the point of having kids if you can't exploit them <laughs> you know i mean it's payback for yeah. all those late nights and the pooey nappies exactly. you know that's yeah. right exactly <laughs> when you have the, yeah it's it's what do they say how much kids cost you over a lifetime oh i, don't I dread to think i know yeah. <laughs> they have these awful studies to tell you like oh it's seven hundred thousand dollars because it's very very unusual as to why i don't know why people aren't having children anymore it's like uh, it's, it's it's weird isn't it i've got i've got friends it. i've got friends who on facebook they're traveling all over the world they're seeing it amazing and i'm like how can they for oh they don't have kids right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know and if that's the decision you've taken all all power to you as well, oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah me. yeah yeah honestly it's well, Joe. i think there's there's it's it's a fantastic world but um if you're if you're taking part in the 200 words a day in May challenge, or you've been submitting your words just because you've been part of the 200 word challenge. We're going to do a, a fun name, name check at the end of this, of the end of the podcast. Oh, yeah. First names only though. I'm not going to reveal like, you know, full names for privacy reasons. But uh, if you have been involved, like we're going to, we're going to randomly pick out a few names just to congratulate you on what you've done so far. And uh, so tune in towards the end, but Mark, let's dive into this week's incredible guest. Oh, it's a cracker. Now, we've got Sue Watson. Now, Sue Watson started out as a TV producer at the BBC, and then she wrote her first book. And then she became a USA Today bestselling author. And then she sold over a million books. Uh, now, what's interesting, we've got another author. And this is this is becoming a theme this year. We're interviewing, I've got further interviews down the line where I know this has happened, where they've they've had a kind of second act in their career. We sort of had it last week with Jonathan Whitelaw on the podcast. You know, he started writing Cozy Crime. And now we've got Sue Watson, who started out write, writing kind of cozy rom-coms and then pivoted to thrillers. And she's got a new thriller out now called The Wedding Day. And uh, we talk about her whole career. It's terrific stuff. So we discuss working with editors to generate ideas, night writing, 
And this blew my mind, actually. The uncanny similarities between rom-coms and domestic thrillers. Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the exceptionally talented Sue Watson. Sue Watson, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. I'm great. We've got a little bit of sunshine today just peeping through. So finally, we're starting to see if it's spring. Fingers crossed, eh? Um, well, look, uh, with spring comes love, comes weddings, eh? How's that for a segue? Uh, love and you've it. got a new book, uh, thriller called The Wedding Day, which has such a wonderful high concept. I got a feeling, though, this isn't going to be on many, many sort of wedding engagement gift lists. Tell, tell, us, <laughs> tell us about the wedding day. Yeah, it, it's not white lace and promises um, no. at all. <laughs> it, it, it actually was, was sparked um, from an idea by my editor who, who'd sort of seen this. I, I don't want to say what she'd seen, but she'd seen a news um, clipping. Um, if I tell you what she'd seen, it will give it away. Um, but she'd seen it and she said, hey, this, this, you know, we, we could do something with this, couldn't we? And she sort of left it with me and I went away and came back with the, the whole idea. And yeah, it's it's a wedding, but not as we know it, really. Um, and it's set on Corfu, which is somewhere I've been uh, two or three times and love. And I think it's this beautiful setting for a summer read. Uh, and at the same time, it has you know, dark corners. It's a very, Corfu is a very leafy, very sort of verdant place for Greece because it's quite wet in the winter. So you have those sort of, the climate can be quite cool in the winter. And also you have lots of sort of vineyards and this is actually set in a vineyard on Corfu. So it's got a gorgeous setting, beautiful wedding, but it's very, very dark. Yes, it's skeletons in the closet, all sorts of dark <laughs> secrets. It's, I'm fascinated that it came out of a conversation with your editor. Is that Has that become a regular thing now for sort of generating ideas, you having a conversation with the editor talking about what might work, what might not? Is, is that a sort of a productive ongoing conversation that you have? Yeah, I think it probably is on the whole. I have a great editor and we have fantastic conversations. I think sometimes I'll go to her with an idea um, and say, I really would like to do this. And we talk it through. And I feel very privileged, really, to have somebody who knows what they're talking about, who I can actually do that with. You know, as a writer, before you, you you know, before you're published, you're constantly trying to work through these things yourself. You talk to friends and family. But to have an editor who says, well, actually, this, you know, I'm, I'm with a commercial imprint. So she'll say, well, this is good at the moment. These are selling. And, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to, for the resort, which was last summer's book, um, that's this one. And that this is basically a book that's set in Devon and inspired by Berg Island, um, which is an art deco hotel where Agatha Christie used to write. Mm -hmm. And I just loved the idea of doing a, a locked room mystery somewhere like this and talked to my editor about it. And she absolutely loved it. So What's great is you can go with it also with a seed of something. And if your editor likes it and feels it will go, she will then or he will then, you know, sort of develop it with you in those, you know. So we have a sort of a good hour, two hour conversation about it. And then I go away and and write the book, really. So that's that's how it works. And you're with Bookature, who are much faster than a lot of regular publishers. You know, they're digital first. Yeah. So you can take something that feels current and sort of, you know, th finger on the pulse kind of stuff and actually turn it around quite quickly, can't you, compared to other publishers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's brilliant. that, and, and the same goes for sort of covers and blurb. If things, you know, if things change or, or you know, right up until the last minute, you can make those changes. And I, I write two books a year. And to be honest, I'm only now thinking about the book I'm going to write next um, I know what it's, it's going to be another locked room mystery and I know what it's going to be about. And already I'm using sort of, you know, references that are happening now and I'm able to sort of input that into into my book. For the wedding day, what, one of the things that kind of inf really influenced me, and again, it's about that speed of, of, of moving books along. Um, you know, in the UK here, we had the, the awful um, missing Nicola Bully, the, the, the woman who went missing as she walked by the river. And it, that kind of really, you know, you find because it's a fast turnaround, I was able to, I, I didn't obviously reference that, but there were these ideas. I mean, the wedding day is about missing women, really, that, you know, yeah. it's about it's about women who go missing and have gone missing. And it, unlike Nicola Bully, they don't always have family who who know, who 
care about them or are connected to them enough to, to look for them. And it kind of inspired uh, the book as I was writing it, this idea right. that this woman was missing, this this beautiful woman in her 40s was missing. And where could she be? I mean, sadly, we know now where Nicola Bully was, but at the time, that really sort of fueled the, the horror of that, you know, j- just for me, just really, I hope I've even put some of that into the book because, and, and that's the joy is, is probably the wrong word, but that's that's the, the benefit of of writing so fast and and to, to what's happening now, really. Absolutely. Yeah. All my crime author friends on social media, particularly Facebook, whenever there is a high profile case, They've all got their theory, and it's something. It might strike non-writers as macabre, yeah. uh, or as you know, should we? Should we? But this is how we think, isn't it? We see something like this, and we're. I think the as a writer, you're putting yourself in the feet of the you know the victim, for want of a better word, the the families, the, the cops investigating it, the locals, and of course, we've now we got you know um, detective podcasters turning up on the scene yeah. and stuff like that. So yes. you know you it's. It might sound warped and sick and twisted to to most people. Yeah, this is sort of what we do, isn't it? It is, and and in a way, we. Gosh, you're right. You're absolutely right, and you feel you do as a writer feel guilty about that as well. Mm. You feel this horrible guilt because you think about the family and what they're going through. And I suppose as well as writers, you you know, like actors, we put ourselves through it. We, yes. we imagine what it's like to be there, and and so in a way, we are empathising. It isn't. It is an empathising thing, but at the same time, it's 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 you do feel guilty about it. You do, and you feel like, should I really? But I think as a writer, you're looking for the story, you're looking for the yeah. answers, you're looking for the conclusion. So you do become an armchair detective, whether you like it or not. You know, you do, don't yeah. you? I mean, you must feel the same. Absolutely. You know, yeah. your- I mean, it's it. You, you're kind of you're looking for a way in. You're looking for a point of view. I think, and there, yeah. there is. You don't want to exploit it. You're not thinking, oh, I need to exploit this for my next book or whatever. But you no. are thinking. What would I feel like in that situation? And it's that feeling, it's that vibe that you get from something like that that you can carry across into your writing. Because yeah. a lot of a lot of writing, I think, is a kind of sense memory, isn't it? You know, again, coming back to acting, where totally. you you know, if you've got to write that scene where you know someone is about to be attacked or murdered or whatever, you got to put the reader in that situation, and it, mean, it means going to some quite dark places, doesn't it? Yeah. It really does. And sometimes I think that, you know, I, I really, really admire, you know, the sort of hardened crime novelists who can really go there. I mean, mm. mine's sort of psychological thriller. It's domestic based often. And, you know, so I can relate to that to a degree. But then um, not that I live that life, but, you know, I, I can relate to how it would feel to live in a home and then that home be invaded by something horrific, yeah. but yeah. psychological rather than, you know, physical or, 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 or criminal always. And, and I think that I really admire that in, in crime novelists who can actually go that bit further and really take it, you know, just go there, really. I, I don't know if I could really. Mm. Um, it would be too horrific, you know, for yeah. me personally. Well, I, I think I think the important thing is that psychological angle, is that putting the reader in that situation, which, you know, from your the reviews, I mean, the reviews for your books are just phenomenal. Can't put it down, edge of your seat thriller. I mean, you, you, you're keeping people gripped. But this... This isn't how you started out, was it? Let's let's go back to how it all started for you. And you had a very successful career writing very different kinds of books. And then we had this pit pivot to, to thrillers. But you let's go back to when you, you were a TV producer at the BBC. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then you wrote your first book and everything changed. So talk about that change in, change in career and, and how that came about. Yeah, I mean, I I was a journalist. I was a I, I did a degree in English, and as lots of people with a degree in English, you think, what do I do now? And so I went into <laughs> journalism. Um, I didn't want to teach, so I went into journalism and ended up um, with the BBC as a producer, and that was fantastic. I was I produced a few programs that you may have heard of. Um, I, I produced Points of View with Terry Wogan, and um, I always used to joke that I rented a hotel room by the hour with Terry Wogan because we used to, <laughs> um, we used to film it actually in a hotel, um, and it was at Cliveden, the, the big hotel. Um, and so, you know, that was that was a fantastic life, and I absolutely loved it. But then my daughter became ill; she's absolutely fine now, but she became ill. Redundancies were offered, and 
having thought about it very seriously, I decided I wanted to spend more time. My daughter was six at the time, and I thought, I, you know, you don't, you, on your deathbed, you don't worry about work. It's it's spending time with your kids, and we only had the one, and I just thought I want to be with her. So I became a sort of school mum for a short time, and during that time, um, as I was a school, when I was a school mum walking walking to school, I just started to think about where I would go next and what I was going to do next because that, that I never thought about giving up work. I just wanted to do something different that yeah. could keep me at home. And the only thing I could think that could keep me at home where I could still go and pick her up from school every day was to be a writer. And I kind of wrote, as often people do, my very first book, which was um, Fat Girls and Fairy Cakes, was actually my my story, really, kind right. of. Um, but my husband didn't leave me, so I have to say that every time because people were really, <laughs> really awful to him, <laughs> and he never did. He stayed. Um, but no, but so so basically that then developed, and I wrote twelve rom coms, um, and th- they did really well. But I read psychological thrillers, and I watched crime programs, and I I, I watched you know dark films, and so in a way I. I think all the time I wanted to move to the dark side. And I, as much as I enjoyed writing the rom-coms and laughed along with them and enjoyed the whole thing, I just wanted to try something else. And my publisher are so brilliant. Uh, they said, okay, if you want to have a go, you know, with absolutely no no sort of guarantee at all from me, they they said, okay, have a go. And um so I wrote this one, which this was my first one. So I'd gone from sort of Love, Lies and Wedding Cake yeah. um, to Our Little Lies, which was my first thriller. And um, my books have now, thanks to the thrillers, really, the thrillers sell a lot more. Um, I've sold nearly one and a half million now um, books. And it was the best thing I did. You know, I don't just mean, you know, Commercially, I mean, as as a writer, I just feel this is my home. Well, look, let's. There's a lot to unpack there, and <laughs> I want I want to go back to Fat Girls and Fairy Cakes, which is yeah. a brilliant title. Um, but you know, it it seems like you just decided to be an author one day, and suddenly you had a deal. It can't have been that simple, though, could it? Tell us, tell us how Fat Girls and Fairy Cakes uh, came to be, because it it was rejected. Wasn't oh. It? oh, it was rejected. I, I had an agent, um, and she said. This is amazing. This is fantastic. I'm going to be able to sell this. No problem. And like a year later, she still hadn't sold it to anybody anywhere. And she and I was really thrilled because I got an agent and she kind of then dumped me. So I had no agent, no book deal. And I found a very small publisher who aren't even who aren't even publishing anymore. And they, you know, they published it for me, really, which was great. Um, But my big and that was great. And that was that was lovely. And it was a start. But my big break came with Book Couture, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wrote to Oliver Rhodes, who was head of Book Couture at the time. It was a very small uh, publisher, probably five or six authors then. And I wrote to him and said, I've got this idea for a book. And um, it was Love, Lies and Lemon Cake. Right. Uh, another cake. Another cake book. <laughs> And uh, he said, oh, right, okay, I'm, yeah, let me have a look at the idea. And, and I, I sent him the ideas and, and, you know, and he, again, he took a punt on me, really. Again, I, I was so lucky. Um, and and that really was life-changing. That was it. But I had been through probably 10 years of rejections before then, everything, you wow. know. I mean, to the point where I I, I questioned whether I, I stopped for about a year and thought I'd, I'd just carry on. And I, and I was doing some training for the BBC. I'd left the BBC, but I was still working, doing some training for BBC and things like that. And I just thought, I'll do that instead. That's fine. I was happy. Fine. But there was just something niggling all the time. Perhaps I could get that book published. And and I did. What did you, it's amazing. You're, you know, you're one of the original book of your authors, yeah. I guess. And yeah. it was a very new idea, this kind of digital first idea. How much did you know going in, particularly if you weren't agented at the time? Was it, were there any suspicions? Did you think, oh, is this a, you know, is this like vanity publishing? What is this? How, how, how was it explained to you? I did. I did. But, but I did, well, yeah, I did, I did. I did wonder about it. I didn't know what it was, uh, really. My, my, my first publisher was actually an accountant. So I didn't have a, <laughs> I didn't have a very high bar. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, I'd, I'd had Pat Girls of Fairy Cakes published by an accountant. So yeah. I was kind of, you know, probably very vulnerable, really. But, yeah. but just talking to Oliver Rhodes, who was just like amazing. Mm. Um, 
I, I was convinced. I just talked to him and I thought he's either a real good salesman or he's as amazing as he seems. And he proved to be as amazing as he seemed. And, you know, he's he's just got this magic touch. Mm. Um, and, you know, he started Book Couture. And he's just, it, it's not just about the books that's the author, you know, at Book Couture now under, under Jenny Geras, you know, um, we have fantastic publicity team, fantastic, you know, editors, and it's just that pastoral care as well for the authors. If they think there's a, you know, they, they always ask, how did we do after each book? They want to know how they did. And it's amazing. And, you know, having sort of, I, I did actually work with um, a, a big publisher and did one book with them. Um, in, in the meantime, I call it my affair because I sort of went off and did... <laughs> <laughs> did something with um with little brown and it was great and it was a great experience but i just i just came back to book couture because you know they sell more books they sell more books and yeah. they are just fantastic to work with you know you don't work for you work with them and 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 they're just they're just brilliant you know they really are yeah fantastic now you had this incredible run so you got like young earth younger thinner blonder Snow Angels, Secrets and Christmas Cake, Bella's Christmas Bake Off, The Christmas Cake Cafe. I'm spotting a pattern here. Snowflakes, <laughs> Ice Cakes and Second Chances. So you're writing these, you know, hugely popular contemporary fiction. And then you turn to the dark side, as you said. And it was it was your idea. You, it was your choice to sort of pivot to the sort of more the sort of thing that you you read. What prompted that that change? Um, I think it was because I I felt I'd said, I mean, perhaps now I, I could go back to rom-coms and say something fresh, but I felt in my rom-coms, I'd come to a point where I hadn't got anything else to say. I'd, right. I'd, I'd, I'd covered the sort of middle-aged woman running away from it all and finding a younger lover, a, a handsome lover, an older lover, whatever. I'd, I'd covered everything. And, you know, my jokes were getting a bit stale, I think, as well. <laughs> um, so I just thought, and I just, as I said, my real, I, I had these great ideas for, for dark stories and, and I just, really wanted to do that and and so i think i think it was it was simply that it was it was now is the time i had the confidence in myself which right. was was probably very misplaced at the time because you don't know it could have been misplaced because i was actually you know i would i wouldn't i couldn't sleep at night when i'd started to write our little lies which started out as i think the surgeon's wife i think it started out as um and it's and I couldn't sleep at night because I thought I'm just going to be I'm going to embarrass myself apart from anything else because by then you know I'd written twelve rom coms people knew me readers knew me other writers knew me and you know it's a community and yes. I thought what if what if this is just a complete embarrassment you know I just I was just so lacking in confidence really um, but Bookshaw gave me a great cover and uh, you know it just seemed to it did incredibly well it actually. In the audio, it came. It got to number one, I think, in America, and it just—it was like huge. It was—it was really big. Um, you know, it knocked Obama, uh, Michelle Obama, off the top at one point, and I was just like, "Where's this come from?" It was just amazing, and it was just—it was just—it was real Cinderella stuff because I had done well with my rom coms, but never, never to that degree, and never in America. But America really did sort of seem to to love the the thrillers, you know, mm. and that that's really helped my sales and everything else, really. Yeah, so it's a genre that that travels, isn't it? Was there was yeah. was there ever any suggestion of because, as you say, you 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 had you know readers already who knew what to expect from you. Was there any talk of a pen name changing, um, changing your name, putting it under a different name? Yeah, I was actually. That's an interesting point. I, I was, I was, I would have liked a new name actually, just because I would just like to mm. call something different. Mm. And I think. I don't, you know, I think now as, as Sue, you kind of people guess that you're not 21 when you call Sue. So, I, I, you know, I kind of thought I'd quite like to be somebody else, somebody Emma or somebody like that. But when I spoke to um, Bookature and, and the team, they said that a lot of my readers were, rom-com readers apparently do transfer and they do like both. Right. And they felt if I were to go as me and be absolutely honest about it and not say, writing as or anything else I, I i actually would inherit my some of my original you know rom-com readers which i think i have really i i do you know i'm aware of a, a lot of readers who i've made friends with online who who read both so they, they were right about that, well, that I, you know they that's from. that's what fascinates me uh because i think bookature are all about the data 
They know all yeah. about sales. They know all about, you know, they have this, they, they, they're doing mailing lists from day one. They know everything about your, not everything, they know a lot about your readers. Whereas a lot yeah. of traditional publishers, the little browns of this world, have still haven't made any effort to do that. And they, they know, ve- and they, they, they were having worked for Orion, you know, which is part of the same group. Yeah. Um, I, I would have sat in meetings. I, I, I guarantee we'd have said, well, if you were published by us, we'd have said, well, she's switching from one genre to another. We need a pen name because, the, you know, these people, women who read this are different to women who read that based on what, you know, our own assumptions. But Booker Chill had the data and the confidence to do that, which is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and, and it wasn't something I insisted. I, I actually, as I say, I would have liked to change my name. I would have yeah. liked that. But they were quite insistent on – in fact, it was Oliver, I think, I had the conversation with directly. And he said, no, I think we'd like to keep you, you know, as you are because of this. And, and you know, I, and I was a little bit disappointed, if I'm honest. But I thought, well, <laughs> again, I you know, I wanted to be, suddenly become somebody else, somebody more glamorous, you know. But I, I think I thought, well, you know, I, I, again, I, tr- I trust them and I always have really. And, and that's a really big thing for an author. If you trust mm. your publisher and your editor, then, you know, you, you, you can't go wrong, really. You know, mm. it's it's a big thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It means an awful lot. Well, you've yeah. had, you know, huge success with with these thrillers, as you say, you know. Uh, has it changed the way you write? I mean, that you're working in a different genre. There are different expectations from the reader, and certainly, you know, in terms of, you know, twists and turns and that kind of thing. Has it changed your writing habit at all? And how has that evolved over the years? Um I think it probably has to a degree. I mean, obviously, lifestyle changes make make a difference as well. My daughter's grown up now um, and sadly moved away, so I don't have to go to school anymore, and I don't have those daytime sort of restrictions, and I don't have the nighttime restrictions either. So what I do find is with my thrillers, it's kind of morphed into a, a, a different kind of day now. I, I, I tend to work in the evenings uh, more um, because I can, um, sometimes very late, Um and and I find that um, it, you know the, the subject matter because it's different. I, I I like to I do like to sort of read other books about that are thrillers and the same genre. But I, I try not and read as I, I don't actually read as much as I used to because I used to love mm. thrillers, and now I don't want to read too many thrillers because I do think, for me particularly, I, I I don't want to be influenced. I want I want to mm. try and do something that. It's just from me and, and you know, so I, I do watch a lot of Netflix and true crime and things like that. Um, and I'm also lazy, too lazy probably to read. But but I think that's that's changed. I used to love rom-coms and read them. And, you know, you could you could make your own sort of stories from them. But I do think with thrillers, there are tropes and there are devices that other writers use. that I don't want to have to I don't want to copy them. I want, you know, to, to sort of try and come up with my own and. And 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 the differences as well. The big differences. I remember reading uh, Robert Brinzer, who used to also write, um, who's very successful. Who used to all he was with Booker Chaw, and he used to write rom coms. Right. And I remember him saying, I'm sure I read in an in interview, he said he, he was he got tired of trying to be funny. And I thought, <laughs> I so relate to that. You know, I think it's brilliant. I, I felt exactly the same. Now I'm tired of trying to be evil, but I, I can I can keep going a bit longer with that. I think you know, but but now you're trying to think of it, it, you know. I sometimes think it would be quite nice to be funny for a day, you know. Again, just write a funny story or something, but um, but you just don't have the time. Two books a year really mm. is for me. That other authors do do more, but I, I how many do you write a year? Well, it's it's well, I write screenplays as well, so it's yeah. it gets a bit muddled up. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's kind of one and a half books a year, I guess, uh, plus screenplays and stuff that will ne- never, probably never get made. But you have to write, you know, yeah. Pilots and but that's stuff a like lot. That's to... a lot, isn't it? Yeah, really, yeah. one and a half and screenplays is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's enough. Yeah. Was there anything? Yeah. Was there anything that you sort of ported over from your rom coms into thrillers that other thriller writers don't bring? You know, don't bring to the table. Is there anything? You know, like so there was a. You know, you've got that comic touch you've got those uh that the kind of a feel different feel of characters um is there anything that that you brought with you from from writing those uh rom-coms into thrillers perhaps I, I, somebody another author said to me recently oh you know you 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 do some you do some just a humorous part of it. there there's humor in your novels and i and i actually hadn't really thought about it i think i just i just i'm i'm humorous perhaps but i, I think what 
It's, it's the same with the rom-coms. With the rom-coms, I was always trying to kill people, and my editor said, you've got to stop killing people. You do right in rom-coms. And in this in this case, I've got a different editor now, but she now c- cuts some of my jokes. And right. so I think probably I do, and I think some of the humour probably is a bit overload because, you know, it's a tense moment. You can't really say something funny, but I just have to put it in and my editor will delete it because, <laughs> quite rightly, it, it ruins the tension, you know. Um so yeah, I think I probably do bring a bit of humour, and and I would I would like to explore more of that. Really, I'd like to perhaps do something slightly different. That's a, a thriller with sort of probably fifty percent humour. You know, a, a more light hearted thriller, perhaps in the future. You know, not yeah. not at the moment, but it's something I've thought about because I think it would be fun to combine the two. And yeah. I also think domestic thrillers, and and again, Jenny Geras, who who um, the, the CEO of Bookature, she always says, you know. A, 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 a domestic thriller, you know, is in a house, um, and it can be about a relationship, and it can be about, um, you know, perfect lives. And the same thing is true of rom-coms. But instead of the laughs, you get the twists. It's yeah. kind of the same. You can set it in the same place with the same people, but it's what you do with it really that's yeah. different. Very good. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that you like writing at night generally, and actually, it's. Yeah. We most of the people we speak to tend to write in the mornings. They tend to be more morning people than night owls. But you're a night owl. So what's? Are you kind of through the day? Are you thinking ahead to that writing session? What what you're going to be doing? Is it mulling away, or do you try and push it to the back of your mind? I'd like to say you, you talk about writing session like I plan it. Um, <laughs> <I'm afraid. laughs> it's not quite as organised. I mean, it's one of those things where you know the day goes on, and I sort of think, oh, I really need to do that. Oh, I really need to do that. I must must sit down and do that, and then I find something else, like you know, groom the cat, or or find a, you know find a friend who'll go and have a coffee with me, and I kind of it's like homework avoidance, you know, and I do procrastinate terribly. So I suppose in a way, part of the the, the the reason I work at night is because by then I've got nothing else to do and nothing else to distract me. And also I, I do find social media is distracting. Mm-hmm. And so if if I write at night, yeah, I can write anything from sort of nine o'clock until two in the morning and you don't really get the same, you, you know, you, there's, there's not the same noise really no, on any true. level. Um, and my husband will either read a book or, you know, listen to music on his headphones. So he's around, but, but I don't, there's only the two of us now because, you know our daughter doesn't live with us so we don't really I don't really have any noise it's great really it's it's and that seems to be a natural organic time for me to write you know do you write in the day or oh I'm a morning person I'm usually wiped out by 10 o'clock yeah yeah (laughs) can't do anymore after that you see I don't get up till nine nine thirty so (laughs) you know it's Are you? Um, I read somewhere as well that you you write quite a detailed synopsis up front. Is that something that you still do? T- tell us about that. Yes, it is. Um, again, for somebody who isn't really a planner, and I'm not really, I tend to. I, li- I do like to have a, a, a synopsis, a quite a detailed one. It might be about three or four thousand words or, or more, even. Um, and my current editor, who is great, she she also likes that too so we work well we do that together we'll talk it through and then I'll go away write a detailed synopsis she'll look at it and then we'll have another chat or she'll make notes and so it's really quite detailed so I use it like a sat nav really um and sometimes I might go off piece slightly I might go a slightly different direction and sometimes as you will know your characters it sounds a bit pretentious but they do take you in a different direction and sometimes they're just begging for something else to happen aren't they and mm. you think gotta go with this yeah um which i think is is one of the it's one of the loveliest things about writing to me i can't believe that that happens it's just like you're working with other people really yes yeah. um so yeah so so it's it, it makes you feel less solitary really and and so so yeah I, I do have a detailed synopsis and um but it's not i don't have i, I one author i know she, she knows exactly how many chapters she's going to have and she can plot it out that way and I wish I could be more like that I think that would make my writing process easier but whether it would work for me I don't know I think it would be too restrictive for me that I think I need that freedom to just go off when I need to but I've got a guide just in case you know I can't yeah. go too far yeah. yeah yeah but that ongoing conversation with the, your your editor is there again and you sort of testing what works before you kind of commit to something which must be kind of kind of reassuring knowing that you're on the right track absolutely and and if you do have doubts you know i mean 
my editor's great. I can just email her and say, what if this, this and this happened? And she'll get back straight away and say, well, this could happen, but think about that. And that's really useful. That's really useful. And also sometimes when you're writing and you just have a have doubts about what you're writing you think it's okay because I'm with I'm with an editor called Helen Jenner I think well Helen Helen thinks it's okay so it's going to be okay (laughs) you know and it's that it's that kind of sometimes you just need to know that because it is such a solitary experience isn't it being a writer sometimes it's it's all on your shoulders you feel and and you know it, it, it is lovely to have an editor where you know that you know you can just go to them and they're there for you really and you know, the editors of Bookshore are very busy. There's obviously fast turnaround. And, you know, we're all we're all working absolutely to a peak, I, mm. I think, you know. Mm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think sometimes if everybody's on it and running fast, it's it's, it's a good thing, really, you know, absolutely. because we all, we're all ready for it, really, yeah. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned, you know, I don't, you said you're getting a bit tired of being evil. So is there a potential third act coming from you? You've had the rom-com, you've had the thriller you. Is there another Sue Watson, you know, pivot coming in the future, do you think? Well, I think, I can't remember. I think I've done 10 or 11 thrillers now, and I'm about to, I think, back to around my 12. I can't remember now. But, but um, no, I think I think for now, for now, the foreseeable, the next two or three books, um, I've signed a contract with Bookature anyway, and I've got those three books sort of signed up, and I know what they're roughly going to be, and they are going to be evil. But as I say, <laughs> I think um, depending on, again, with a commercial eye to it, because let's not, you know, I mean, I do it for the love. I do do it for the love. But also, you know, there's I don't want to write books that nobody's going to read. So yes. if I found that, you know, that things changed that way, then I would I would certainly – as a journalist, you know, I feel I can kind of adapt to different mm-hmm. genres if I have to. So I would change genres. I love, love, love this genre. I'd love to do crime at some point in the future. I'd love to do crime. I'd love to develop a detective. Um, right. And I'd like to do something quite humorous and, and combine that, perhaps a, a funny detective. But everybody's, you know, everybody's come up with every kind of detective possible haven't they so i yeah. think it's about the the problem there would be coming up with something fresh really i think yeah, um, yeah. and that would have to take, take some thinking i think cool well yeah. if anyone can do it you can so we look forward to it uh in <laughs> the meantime you. the wedding day is out there now so uh oh actually before i let, let colombo one more thing i read yeah. somewhere you once dated sean Ryder from the happy mondays <laughs> i can't i can't let that i have to ask about that <laughs> Yeah, it was. It, I mean, dating is probably formalising it far too much. It was, <laughs> we, yeah, I knew him, and we, we, we. There was a spark, and we had a little fling, and it was, it was short lived. But yeah, that's my claim to fame. I mean, that and Terry Wogan. Where you know, where else do you go? You know, I mean, Sean Ryder and Terry Wogan. They're, I've run the gamut there. <laughs> Did you get a? Did you get a glimpse into you know what was I, I assume this was before Sean Ryder was famous you know did yeah you get, sadly did you get some idea it's, it's, of what he was going to become? Well, I, I do have a I do have a sort of Sean Ryder story because he was he was really oh he's, he'd probably kill me for this but he was really lovely he was really yeah. handsome and he had bleach blonde hair and he wore a zoot suit when I knew him and he was the cutest he was just so cute and he was I think he might have even been I think he's, I think he was my age but certainly not older and. Um, Nothing like he is now. And so we, we sort of were friends and, and one or two other things. And, you know, that sort of happened. And then years later, I was living in London and he was famous. And I went to a um, a, a gig and my friend got us after, after, into the after party. And I don't really know how she did it. But um, and I sort of went up to and approached him and he hardly remembered me, really, which was really flattering. And um, <laughs> he said he actually remembered my boyfriend who I went out with after him so he remembered him but hardly remembered me and he said um excuse me um and he said um you know oh yeah yeah I do remember you know your boyfriend and I remember I remember the time and I remember you know because we all worked in a cinema and he said um but will you do me a favor if you go to the to the news of the world which was then with this story will you um can tell them whatever you like you can say I did anything you can say anything so but please don't tell them I wore a zoot suit. <laughs> so, and, and it was just so funny, you know. But, and he was lovely and he was really nice and we chatted and we rem- we knew a lot of the same people. And So it was really interesting to meet him years after because he, you know, yeah. he was just as sweet really and just as nice. But, it, you know, um, obviously, you know, he's, he'd lived quite a life by then really. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you, Sue. Thanks for sharing that. And Thank folks, you. as I said, 
The Wedding Day is out there, and many other fantastic books, some with cakes in them. So uh, do check <laughs> them out. Uh, so great to speak to you. Hope to speak to you again soon. Lovely to speak to you, Mark. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Wow, what an interview. I don't even, I honestly don't even know where to start, Mark. There's so much to unpack there, but we'll do our best. And we, we we'll have a go, won't we? We've got to give it a shot. <laughs> let's, let's start where Sue started, which I was fascinated by this discussion around taking ideas from the news and some of the emotions that can come up as part of that. And it made me appreciate some of the challenges for crime writers, for thriller writers. It's, it is very much a crime writer, thriller writer kind of thing. And I've got lots of crime writer friends on Facebook. And whenever there is, you know, one of these tragic stories on the news, they will, not in a ghoulish way, and this, this is the, the key thing to, 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 to think about, they think about every aspect of this. They, they, they will have these long conversations about what they think happened uh, what the police are doing, how the investigation is going, the attitude of the press, the attitude of people's reaction to the press, all of these things. And it gives you a great insight into the mind of, of a crime writer in that they're thinking not just about the mechanics of the crime, you know, who did what to whom kind of thing, but the effect, the emotional effect it has on the victims' families, on the people who maybe their work colleagues, on the police, on maybe the killer. What what made the killer do what they you know? How did they become this person? What were the motivations around it? So it's um, it's not just about being ghoulish and going, oh, I could exploit that to write a juicy thriller. It's more about going. Oh, wow. Look at how people are reacting to this situation. What if that was someone you knew? What would your reaction be? And what would be the reaction be if you knew who the killer was or if you had some insight or you had some information, but you couldn't really? So you start looking at it from every single angle. And there's, there's something about the mind of the crime writer that's so good at that. And treats it with a sensitivity, treats it with uh, a kind of insight that I really, really admire because it's it would be so easy just to slide into a kind of a salacious kind of, oh, do you think he did it kind of thing? And I, I take my hat off to crime writers who who really do this so well. And, and you know, Sue is absolutely one of those. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible journey to be on, I think. I think from a really positive perspective it actually helps really build empathy doesn't it it helps you when you have to really try and get into the mind of someone who's had to go through something like that in reality um i think it's a, a very important journey that an author needs to take and it can be quite a scary one obviously there's a lot of authors that are writing these things hopefully not too often firsthand like having experienced it in their own life but probably possibly secondhand like through someone that's gone through it and then third hand, I guess, would be if you're reading about it in, you know, say a public, you know, newspaper or, or article. But to actually have to get into the mind of a character who is either experiencing it, has gone through it, did it, whatever might, whatever it might be, all those different angles that you have to explore. I think it's a it's a brave and incredible venture to go on. But I think you come out of it as an author being a much more worldly, empathetic and compassionate individual because you've literally had to you've been you've gone through the you've gone through the you know through the ringer um yeah and yeah, obviously yeah. you know for people that you know for people that have experienced it firsthand then it's obviously you know from from the heart they understand what it's like to experience that but, i think th th i think it's also a reason why we see so many lawyers and police officers go into writing as well because yes, you're right they yeah. they will they have experienced they would have experienced it mm. uh, and and experienced it in a way that they have to put their professional hat on and follow strict procedures and take a moment to think about everyone involved in the case yes. and what their what their point of view is and, and their aspect you know on on the situation which is when we create fictions we're very often focused on a protagonist but eventually you know, either in the first draft or subsequent drafts, we are also thinking about those other characters and their point of view and what they're thinking. And I, I mean, one of the things I always do is I will do a pass from the point of view of the antagonist, you know, and even if they're the, you know, the most uh, kind of villainous black cat baddie you can think of, you've still got to 
kind of ask yourself, well, why are they doing this? What is their motive? What are they hoping to get out of this? Because the the villain is the hero of their own story. And yes, they might have had to make difficult choices and, and do terrible things, but there must be a reason for that. I, I, I think the second you start going, well, he's just a homicidal maniac. Well, yeah, but let's dig a little deeper. That's it's certainly yeah, in terms of narrative. you have to ask the question, why? Yeah, exactly. And that's where you go. And I think as well, you know, it's an interesting point you mentioned about lawyers, you know, police officers, uh, anyone who's supporting someone or a family through a tragic incident or or event that's happened. But all of these people, it's easy to forget, you know, in their professional capacity, they show up to work and they might do this every day. They might be in, you know, court dealing with horrific cases. But they are still human beings and he, every human being has an emotion. It doesn't matter what profession you do, you're still affected by it. You know, I have a friend who volunteers for the fire service here and um, a lot of people don't realize this, but in what Canadian towns, um, most of the fire department are volunteers and they have maybe one mm. or two paid in like 30 or 40 volunteers. And they have to go. These are like, you know, dads of friends of mine, that dads with kids and, you know, one minute they're sitting at home, having dinner with their with their family and they get a beeper call and the next yeah. minute they're they're showing up at a car wreck on the mm. highway and they're having to deal with something horrific or a fire yeah. that they're gonna home. And these you know they can't leave that stuff there. You know, you bring it back and and so again it gives me incredible amount of um respect mm. for anyone who goes there that has to go there, whether it's, you know, from a supportive perspective or having to deal with it in their own life or an author who's willing to say, I, I really want to understand what this must be like. So I really want to get my characters to embody the reality of what this is. And, and mm. it's part of the whole cycle of life in many ways. It's part of the whole experience of life. I should say um, this emotion, the, the exploring these different kinds of emotions, it makes you, it can make you more grateful for, the good that you have in your life to not, you know, if yeah. you look at that perspective and your life is maybe pretty, you know, rock solid and things are going well, it makes you appreciate that. Whereas in the moment you might not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating area. Now, one other thing that Sue mentioned, which really, really excited me with this idea that a book doesn't have to be just written, you know, spending a year, two years, five years writing this book. And then you've got your moment where you send it to your pub, you know, potential publisher and say, you know, will you publish this or an agent? Sue talks about how sometimes with an agent, it can be a collaborative process for generating ideas for something. Yeah. Agents and editors. And uh, it's that thing of delivering kind of what they want, or at least getting a steer I mean, the, the, there are some authors who might think, Oh, crikey, I don't want anyone telling me what to write sort of thing. But, uh, I think when you're dealing with a company like Ukachur, you know, who seem to be doing a lot of the right things and know their customers really well and know, you know, what they want. And we'll talk more about this in extended version, you know, that, that, that kind of genre thing. Um, but if you've got an agent, if you've got, uh, someone there with a, a foot in the industry who is dealing with this day in, day out, why would you not have a conversation with them and say, okay, what do you think is going to work? What's what in your expert opinion uh, is going to, I mean, this is, this is one of the things if, if you're, I know a lot of people, you know, ask us, how do I get an agent? And the temptation once you get an agent is just to fling yourself at the agent and go with them because, you know, uh, we're all like wallflowers at a disco and we're just grateful for the attention. But <laughs> don't forget that you've got to make sure that the right agent, the right kind of editor. So maybe just say to them, you know, okay, you're an agent. What are people doing right? You know, the, you're the most successful author on your list. What are they doing that no one else is doing? And is that something I could do? Because uh, if, you, if you do that from day one, then that agent's thinking, okay, someone with a bit of ambition and they want to, you know, people like to be They're liked. I, I, yeah. I know, I know we think, uh, we think of agents and editors in these kind of hallowed terms, but they're just like you and me and that they, they like having their ego, you know, you know, prodded and, uh, they, they like to think that they, and they do have an expertise that they can share. And if you well, they ask, do. they the, will share it. They spend agents spend their entire week chatting with publishers Mm. and so they have a lot more insight into what's happening in that world and so 
if, if we're lucky enough to get agents, we should absolutely be tapping into their expertise. I think, I think there's a two-way thing here. I think some authors are like, well, I, I don't want to be told what to write. Absolutely. I mean, you need to, we always know that you, we've heard it again and again, write what you love. But sometimes it can be about, of all the things you love and of all the things you might write about, which are the things out there that agents are saying, oh, this looks like it, you know, it seems to be, uh, uh, this seems quite hot right now. And if it combines with one of your loves, then go with that. Like make the most of like the market research. Like every company, every successful company in the world does research. As an author, we should do research. If we want to become successful authors, we want people to buy our books, then we should be asking that question as early, as early on in the process of an idea as to what, what what are people looking for right now? And and it's not there's not always one thing. It's like give me a list of ten things, and then find the one thing in that list of ten that is on your list already, and maybe that's the thing that you write. That's it exactly. This shouldn't be a case of the tail wagging the dog. You shouldn't go, oh, okay, people are writing this kind of book, so I'm going to write that kind of book because by the time you finished it, the trend will have moved on. But if you can figure out that there's something that people like, then do that thing that they like. Yeah. So absolutely. Write your list first, but don't don't just say, I'll I want to write this one thing. Like what there's so many things. We ever that's the biggest curse of an author. We all want to write 15 books at once because we've got so many ideas, yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Tell me about but it. it's very, very, very <laughs> worth kind of um delving that and ask the questions. Find out if you're stuck and you're not sure what you should write, then it should be an agent. Even if you haven't got an agent, just ask an agent. I mean, maybe you'll get an agent <laughs> by asking them. A, an That's, intelligent question. It, it might be the door that they, they can, oh, who are you? And tell me what you're, that'd be quite a nice way of doing it, right? Um, instead of kiss chase, I always remember kiss chase in playground, right? You know, when you start chasing someone, they run away. The minute you stop chasing them, they're like, oh, hang on a minute. Why are they not? And then they wander over. They Maybe that's the approach. <laughs> I don't know. I had completely <laughs> forgotten about Kiss Chase Kiss until Chase. this point. We'd all be cancelled for that now. You know that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny? Did My COVID God. kill off Kiss Chase? I don't even know if Kiss Chase w- was still going on in primary schools. Oh, I doubt it. I oh, doubt I think it. it is, Mark. I think. Do you think? Do you not think? I think it was. Kiss Chase, when we were in primary school, it was like, I remember it was F1. That was our first class. We were about five five years of age, five or six years of age. It was kind of like early dating, wasn't it? Right. Any any, t- any teachers that oh God, not early think. dating, but like playing, playing, playing with the idea of it. Uh, any teachers out there, tell us if Kiss Chase is still a yes. thing. <laughs> yeah, what happens if somebody plays Kiss Chase? And actually, it might be different in different countries in the world. We've got listeners yeah, from all yeah, over yeah. the world. So, yeah, yeah we want to know because it's important because someone's probably thinking about writing in their book. So we need the research done now. That's true. Yes. Goodness me. Yeah, but it's true. There's weird stuff that comes up from your... From your- <laughs> memory as a kid isn't it I love it I, I, I gave blood earlier today so I'm getting slightly delirious do you know, so well, do you know what sparked him Mark if anyone's watching on YouTube Mark is wearing the most awesome t-shirt today for this, this podcast it's great it's, yeah. it's the VHS logo doesn't do you know that logo want, do you know what I lo- want Mark? Go on, go, go on. on. Well, it's just the logo just brings back so many it's, happy memories of seeing yeah. that on the spine or on the tape oh, or yeah. on the machine and just thinking there is going to be magic in this, you in know, this some DVD, movie or TV DVD show. just doesn't do it. The Blu-ray no. doesn't do it. No, no. You know what I should do, Mark? I should have a, uh, a Betamax. Um, <laughs> 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 the two marks as defined by 80s technology. Betamax was, was well, it was the better format. It was superior, right? Yeah, yeah. But was didn't the better format. survive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which actually is a great lesson for many authors. Like it's sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not, um, well, sometimes. hang on. I'm, I'm not sure this is a great lesson because do you know why VHS became the more popular format? Go on, enlighten me. The adult entertainment industry adopted it. Ah. So if you wanted photos of uh, consenting adults doing having naked fun, yes. uh, then it was on VHS. They chose VHS and that's why it became the format of choice. Wow. I mm. did not know that. Mm. The porn industry, like, basically... Run- I tried to avoid that word. Because <laughs> <laughs> it said appear, it's so lovely. It Such will appear on, way. you know, on, on a transcript oh, and then right, suddenly... Yeah, 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 yeah. Then it will get 
I'll probably get like five times as many listeners. Right? Exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it works for them. Anyway, moving swiftly on. But actually, folks, we're going to be talking about all of that and more in the extend, though, not just that. But in the extended edition of this podcast, we have a lot to talk about. Um, we have, in particular, the idea of the essential elements of genre. We're going to deep dive a bit into what's this magic effect that's going on with Booker True, like 1.5 million sales for Sue. We keep hearing about the magic of these digital first, when it's done right, these digital first publishers. And we're going to deep dive a bit into that. Uh, we're also going to talk about, is it you or is it the agent? Because Sue, Sue did get an agent and the agent couldn't sell her work, but Sue became very successful. So if you have had an agent and it didn't work out, was it your book? Was it you? Or was it the agent? We're going to discuss that. Also, self-confidence and belief. How important is that for you as an author if you want to succeed as a writer? We're going to, we're going to look a little bit into success in the US and pen names. And also, is it important to avoid reading your own genre that you're writing when you're writing? And then finally, we're going to deep dive into can you run out of gas if you try and do something for too long? So loads to unpack, folks. If you want to join us in the extended, please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and join as a patron or join the academy to get all of these extra goodies. So Mark, so much to celebrate in the month of May in yes. the 200 word challenge. Give us some names. Give us some names, Mr. Oh my gosh. Names, okay, give us some shout outs. I'm going to, I want to give some shout outs to people who've been, who've been banking words here. Uh, because there's, I, no, I really, if, if your name isn't mentioned, you, I'm just going to shout out first names. If your name is mentioned, there's so many people doing the 200 word a day uh, challenge in May. But firstly, just to say congratulations to people that we've yeah. seen putting words in to Sandra, to Alex, to William, to Edwin, to Pam, to Naomi, to Al Andrea, K Karen. Dan, Charlotte, Danny, Julienne, Richard, Deborah, Penny, Kate, Denise. We've got tons more here. We've got Phil. We've got Heather. We've got Susan. Uh, we've got uh, Alyssa, Matt, name, oh, lovely to hear from Matt again, Tamara. Uh, someone called Mark Stay has been doing quite a lot of it. Actually, Hello. Mark. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> to Mark Stay, to Denzel, um, to Crosby, to Maria. I'm scanning through here. Let's just pull some more names out here. Oh my gosh. To and another Andrea, uh, to another Phil. So there's just tons and tons. So listen to everyone who's been taking part in the 200 words day in May. Firstly, congratulations on getting your words Yay. down. And also may this be the start or continuation of a beautiful thing for you as we go into yeah. a new month. Um, so if you would like to write in June, if you'd like to try and write every day in June, then pop along and register at 200wordchallenge.com anytime between now and the 1st of June to get started. Wonderful stuff. Um, over on the Academy, uh, Chris Everhart, member of the Academy, he's got a book out called Get the Writing Rabble, uh, which is, this is this is terrific. It's, it's drawing on more than 20 years' experience. Chris shares his journey so far in writing and publishing, shines a light in the shadowy corners of the writer's mind, exposes some mistakes he's made along the way, and shows you how you can avoid the pitfalls. Learn how to dodge your inner critic, discover your real job, get the writing rabble today. So this is brilliant. We've got people in the Academy writing books how to write. It's, it's amazing. amazing. So, it's yeah, amazing. We'll and I will say... I will say, Mark, I wrote the foreword for that book. And so no I, way. I certainly did. How yeah, did Chris, I miss that? Well, you know, <laughs> but it, it's actually brilliant, brilliant to see, just to celebrate some of the Academy members' successes. And we're seeing a lot of great books coming out from the Academy. And, uh, yeah, I was approached by Chris to write the foreword and I'm absolutely delighted to do that. So congratulations, Chris. And it's out there. Absolutely brilliant. And may it help many, many, many people on their journey. Fantastic, Fantastic stuff. stuff. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Um, we've got a lovely bit of follow-up from the Jesse Keane episode a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember Jesse Keane came on? She had a Romany background. She she grew up sort of in the area of Soho and was writing about sort of criminal nefarious types uh, and drawing on real-life people. We were talking about how you can draw on real-life people. And we had a lovely bit of follow-up from Sasha Green on Patreon, actually. And Sasha said, regarding drawing characters from real life, don't 
be like the writer in Magpie Murders. So I don't know if you've seen this. This is a novel by Anthony Horowitz, and it was adapted for television. It's been on BBC in the UK over Easter. It was a big hit, and I, Claire and I watched it and absolutely loved it. And there's a novelist in that who used the people around him as characters in his stories, and he was really cruel to them. Uh, and Sasha says, you know, don't be that person. But what Sasha doesn't know, right, this goes even deeper because I worked at Orion when Magpie Murders was published and Anthony Horowitz based the character as an editor. Basically, the, the, the author dies and they try and figure out how the author was murdered and the editor tries to solve the crime. And the editor in the book is called Susan Ryland, but she was actually based on a real editor at Orion called Susan Lamb. <laughs> and as far as I know, Susan knew about it and in advance and but didn't tell anyone and we all kind of it was one of these things that went around the office it was like did you know that the character of Susan Reiner is based on Susan that were like, no way and of course we all wanted to read it we had to read it then you know and yeah. the clue is in the name because Ryland is is I believe a kind of sheep so yeah it's fantastic um, yeah oh, the stuff we learn and uncover on this podcast is good isn't it absolutely incredible. brilliant <laughs> oh fantastic stuff so yes absolutely be kind but uh, but at the same time Use those people around you because today, I promise you, when you listen to this, maybe by walking past someone, if you're going for a walk with a podcast, you'll see characters everywhere that will inspire you uh, and uh, may, may they make your stronger novel even stronger than it is. Brilliant stuff. Excellent, Mark. Now, how can people find us on uh, social media if they want to get in contact or the website? Well, if you go to that there Facebook, we are called Bestseller Experiment. If you're visiting Twitter or Instagrams, we are at Bestseller XP. Uh, come and say hello, drop us a line, share your stories, share your good news. Uh, or go to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. You can email us directly. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've been inspired by Sue or any of our hundreds, and I say that again, hundreds of guests that we've had on the podcast, uh, how about giving us a rating? How about giving us five stars? That would be nice. It makes us more visible helps inspire other writers and make the world a better place. So actually, in a way, by giving us a five-star review, you're solving climate change. There we go. <laughs> science. 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 Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank yeah. you so much, everyone, for your time <laughs> being with us on this journey. And we want to wish you a wonderful writing week. If you'd like to get the newsletter, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the newsletter tab to get our weekly updates for each podcast that we put out and our new guests coming. And if you'd like to join the Academy, of course, just pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com to find out what all the fuss is about. Yes. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And it's a goodbye. Has anyone got any blood? It's a goodbye from Mark 2. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Boom. <laughs>